Praise the Lord. How good it is to sing praises to our God. How great is our God. His power is absolute. His understanding is beyond our comprehension. How good it is to sing praises to our God. The Lord delights in those who honor him, who put their hope in his unfailing love. How good it is to sing praises to our God. Let's pray together, shall we? We praise you, O God, for you have been faithful and true through good times and bad. Forgive us for doubting when we have not seen your hand at work, believing that you are too distant to care for us or too weak to act on our behalf. So open our eyes and our ears and our minds and our hearts today to the glory of what you are about in this world. Open our hands to both receive from you and reach out to others. Breathe into us the new life of your Holy Spirit that we might breathe out the good news of the gospel. And this we pray in the name of the one who is our foundation, even Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Uh, we are in the third week of this teaching series on this little Old Testament book called Habakkuk. And each of these messages in this five-part series builds on uh, the previous one. So. If you haven't been able to be here the first couple of weeks, we do encourage you to go on to the website or the Redeemer app and uh, check out the podcast, listen to the messages before. There's also printed copies available out in the lobby uh, after each week's message. Today we're going to be talking about Habakkuk's influence on the New Testament theology of the Apostle Paul and upon the great reformer Martin Luther. So there's a little history in this message for you uh, biblical history buffs, uh, and there's a challenge for all of us as we seek to be people of faith. So we'll get to all of that in a few moments, um, but we're going to pray first, and then we're going to sing some more. Let's pray together. God of grace, we come with all that we have today, body, soul, mind, and spirit, to worship you. We have come for a glimpse of your kingdom of kindness a world where love rules over all, a world where enemies embrace, a world where distinctions between friend and foe evaporate in the light of your love and grace. God, we dedicate this hour of worship to you in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, in today's message, um, we're talking about uh, faith, and I'm going to focus our, our attention on two biblical texts, and we're going to hold those two texts side by side today because one is the key to the other. So I want to start with the words of the Apostle Paul uh, in the New Testament to the book, uh, in the book of Romans, chapter 1, verse 17, and here's what Paul says. This good news tells us how God makes us right in his sight. This is accomplished from start to finish by faith. As the scriptures say, it is through faith that a righteous person has life. Now, I want you to notice the last part of that verse where Paul says, as the scriptures say. That means he is quoting from the Old Testament. Where did he find the phrase? It is through faith that a righteous person has life. Well, it comes from Habakkuk chapter 2, verse 4. Look at the proud. They trust in themselves and their lives are crooked but the righteous will live by their faithfulness to God. Now, many people agree that this is the central verse of this Old Testament book of Habakkuk. It is certainly one of the most crucial verses in all of the Bible. 
So here is this verse that's so important that it takes three New Testament books to explain it. In the, uh, the phrase, the righteous will live by faith, is quoted in the book of Romans chapter 1, in Galatians chapter 3, and in Hebrews chapter 10. But more than that, these words are often described as the text that changed the world. The first, it first changed one man, and that, that man literally made a huge impact on our world. Many of you may know the story of Martin Luther, uh, but if you don't, he was at one time an obscure Roman Catholic monk who entered the monastery seeking to be set free from the heavy burden of guilt that he felt because of his sin. And though he was a, an obedient son of the church, he found no rest for his soul in all of the prayers or the fasting or the penance that he did. But his eyes were opened by God when he studied one day Paul's letter to the Roman church. And as he came to Romans chapter 1, verse 17, he pondered the meaning of the quotation that linked back to Habakkuk chapter 2. Reflecting back on what this text meant in his own life, Luther offers this testimony. He said, when by the Spirit of God I understood these words, the just shall live by faith, then I felt born again like a new man. I entered through the open doors into the very paradise of God. Now when Martin Luther found that text, or more accurately, when that text found him, it turned his life upside down. No longer was he willing to remain a simple monk in the monastery at Erfurt, Germany. Once the blazing truth of justification by faith gripped his heart and soul, he, it ignited the fires of reform that spread throughout Europe and eventually to the ends of the earth. And yet this little phrase, the righteous will live by faith, comes almost as an afterthought. In Habakkuk chapter 2, God pronounces judgment on the wicked Babylonians because they are greedy, because they are arrogant, because they are bloodthirsty and ruthless, because they kill without remorse, and because they give themselves over to every sort of evil. God promises to one day destroy them. But that day is a long way off. Babylon will not be destroyed for almost 70 years. They have a lot of looting yet to do. They will plunder many nations. Their end is determined, but it won't happen for a long time. So what do you do when you watch the bad guys steal and kill and behead their enemies? Well, it's a question that's almost ripped from today's headlines, isn't it? What do we do when evildoers come to power? Well, we remember that the righteous will live by faith. What do we do when our prayers seem to go unanswered? We remember that the righteous will live by faith. What do we do when our dreams turn to ashes? We remember that the righteous will live by faith. When all we see is trouble on every hand, the righteous person remembers that God is still on the throne of the universe and that there, when the dark clouds appear overhead, we can say to ourselves, the righteous will live by faith. How much did Habakkuk understand about Luther and the Protestant Reformation? The answer is nothing at all. He understood these words entirely in the context of his own time. But more than 600 years later, the 
the, uh, the Holy Spirit would move the Apostle Paul to quote these words and prove that the gospel was not some new innovation but had been predicted back in the Old Testament. And, and uh, some 1,500 years later after that, Martin Luther found rest for his soul when he understood the meaning of these words, the righteous will live by faith. Now this is the verse that changed Luther's life. This good news tells us how God makes us right in his sight. This is accomplished from start to finish by faith. As the scriptures say, it is through faith that a righteous person has life. In the previous verse to that, Paul declares that the gospel is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. And now he explains why that gospel is so powerful. First, he says the Bible talks about a righteousness that comes from God. The word righteousness comes out of the courtrooms of the ancient world, and it simply means to declare not guilty, to find someone innocent of all charges. And if you're righteous in God's eyes, you can stand before him and be declared not guilty. The gospel of Jesus Christ provides for us what we could never provide for ourselves. In our own merit, we all stand condemned before God. And who would dare to, among us, who, would, who among us would dare to say, you know what? I'm good enough to get to heaven. As someone has said, a clear conscience is the result of a poor memory. The only person who thinks they're good enough to go to heaven is the person who doesn't know how bad they really are. You see, righteousness is what we need, but righteousness is not what we have. Therefore, God, knowing that we could never be righteous on our own, provided a righteousness that comes down from heaven above. It is not earned and it's not deserved, but it is given to us by God as a free gift. The Reformers had a special term for this. They called it alien righteousness. The term alien simply means from another place. When we visit another country, we are an alien in that country because we are from another place. And to say that we have, are saved by alien righteousness uh, simply means that we are saved by righteousness that comes from another place. It comes not from within us as a result of our good deeds, but from outside of us entirely. And where can a guilty sinner find that kind of righteousness? We can find it in Jesus Christ. That's the alien righteousness that saves us. There's an old gospel hymn. Some of you may know it. Uh, it's called, My Hope is, uh, the words in the first uh, verse of it say, My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly lean on Jesus' name. Righteousness comes from God. And that brings us to the second reason why the gospel uh, that we know today is so powerful, and that is because the righteousness from God is only received by faith. The key word here is faith. Our text says that righteousness is received by faith from start to finish. Everyone who is saved is saved in the same way. It is through faith alone and faith always. How can we be made right with God? The answer is simple. Uh, by receiving the righteousness of God that comes only through faith. Why do we need this? Well, we need it because we're all in the same boat. 
And that boat without God is going down. The Bible says in Romans 3, 23, or 22 and 23, we are made right with God by placing our faith in Jesus Christ. And this is true for everyone who believes, no matter who we are. For everyone has sinned, and we all fall short of God's glorious standard. I want you to note that little phrase, this is true for everyone. There's no difference between rich or poor. There's no difference between young or old. There's no difference between male or female or what color or gender or anything else in this world. We all stand condemned by God. And all of us are under the, gen, uh, the judgment of God. Our sins may not be exactly the same, but we are all sinners nonetheless. We're all in the same boat, and that boat has sprung a huge leak. And if God doesn't do something, we're all going to perish together. We have a big problem with this because I think deep down inside of us, secretly we think God makes deals with people. That if we only try hard enough, if we only do our best, if we just clean up our act, if we play by the rules, if we treat people right, then God will let us into heaven in the end. But that is a false assumption. There are no righteous people in this community or in any of the surrounding cities and towns. And apart from God's grace, there is no righteous person to be found anywhere. Jesus is the only righteous person that's ever lived. Jesus Christ was holy and he was perfect in every way. He never sinned and though he was tempted, he never gave in. All the rest of us fall so far short that we cannot begin to be compared to him. He is the only righteous person to ever walk this earth, and we crucified him. His reward for doing God's will was death on a Roman cross. Here is the wonder of God's grace at work. From the murder of a perfect man came God's plan to rescue the human race. And if we want to be with God through all of eternity, we need to learn this lesson. God doesn't make deals with sinners like us. If we come to God on the basis of our good works, we will be turned away because we will miss the 100% perfection mark. But if we come to God on the basis of the righteousness provided by Jesus Christ, we will be accepted. But then there's a third lesson in why the gospel is so powerful, and that is by the righteousness of the gospel, men and women are declared just in the eyes of God. Now, to prove his point, St. Paul includes a quotation from Habakkuk 2.4. The righteous will live by their faithfulness to God. It was this text quoted by Paul in Romans 1.17 that ultimately shook Martin Luther to, the found, to his core and, and to his foundations and brought him to saving faith in Jesus Christ. And on that point, I want to quote from a letter by Dr. Paul Luther, who was the great reformer's youngest son. And he says this, in the year 1544, my late dear father, in the presence of all of us, narrated the whole story of his journey to Rome. And he acknowledged with great joy that in that city, through the spirit of Jesus Christ, he had come into the knowledge of the truth of the everlasting gospel. And it happened this way. As he repeated his prayers on the Lateran staircase, the words of the prophet Habakkuk came suddenly to his mind, the just shall live by faith. 
And thereupon he ceased his prayers. He returned to Wittenberg and took this as the chief foundation of all his doctrine. From that unlikely beginning came the Protestant Reformation. And with it, the battle cry, sola fide, mean by faith alone. Faith alone. Not by works of the law, but by faith alone. Not by obedience to the church, but by faith alone. Not by human righteousness, faith alone. Not by baptism, faith alone. Not by good intentions, faith alone. Not by the sacraments, not by acts of charity, but by faith alone. Faith plus nothing and minus nothing. So what does it mean for us to have faith in this sense? Well, if you know what it means to believe a doctor when the doctor says, you need surgery, you know already what it means to have some faith. You know what it means to step in, if you know what it means to step into the airplane trusting your safety to the captain who's in the cockpit, you know what it means to have faith. If you know what it means to ask a, an attorney to plead your case in court, you know what it means to have faith. You see, faith is complete reliance upon another person to do what you can't do for yourself. Some may ask, how much faith does it take to go to heaven? And the answer is, it depends. The answer is twofold, not much and all you've got. If you're willing to trust Jesus Christ with as much faith as you happen to have, you can be saved. But if you're holding anything back, thinking that you maybe need to do something to help save yourself, forget it. See, saving faith is putting your trust in Jesus Christ and him alone. In order to do that, you have to stop, you have to stop trying to save yourself. In the New Testament book of John, the Gospel of John, uh, chapter 14, we read these words of Jesus. Jesus said, don't let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God. Trust also in me. There is more than enough room in my Father's home. If, it, if this were not so, would I have told you that I'm going to prepare a place for you? When everything is ready, I will come and get you so that you will always be where I am and you know the way to where I'm going. No, we don't, Lord, Thomas said. We have no idea where you're going, so how can we know the way? And Jesus looked at him and told him, I am the way, and I am the truth, and I am the life. No one can come to, me except, uh, can come to the Father except uh, through me. So believing in Jesus means trusting him so much that if Jesus can't take us to be with him, we aren't going to get there. If Jesus can't take us to be with him forever, we are not going to make it. There is no plan B. Sometimes I hear people say, don't put all your eggs in one basket. That may be good advice for gathering eggs. Maybe even good advice for investing your money. But it's terrible advice when it comes to planning for your eternal soul. It's okay to put all your eggs in one basket, but only if that basket is labeled Jesus. Some years ago, Christian author and speaker Josh McDowell debated a well-known Muslim, and at one point the Muslim tried to ridicule the Christian faith by saying that Christians are riding on the back of a crucified man. And Josh McDowell replied by saying, you're right. 
We're riding on the back of a crucified man, and he's going to take us with him all the way to heaven. Let me say it again as plainly as I can. There is good news and bad news in this text today. The bad news first, we have no other hope of heaven outside of Jesus Christ. Good works cannot save us. Church membership can't save us. Baptism can't save us. Giving money can't save us. Keeping the Ten Commandments can't save us. There is nothing we can do that will ensure our eternal salvation. And if we're trusting in our good life or in our religion to get us to heaven, someday we are going to be sadly and eternally disappointed. But the good news is that those who put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ are forgiven of their sin and given the hope of spending eternity with God. That's the real meaning of it is through faith that a righteous person has life. There's another old hymn um, that has a particular biblical message. Some of you may know it if you grew up in a church, as I did with singing the old hymns of the church, but the, church, the, the hymn is entitled, Only Trust Him. The title alone tells us that only is the right qualification, trust is the right action, and him is the right object. Only trust him. This favorite old hymn was written by a Methodist preacher by the name of John Stockton became popular when another great hymn writer by the name of Ira Sankey used it as an invitation hymn during Dwight L. Moody's evangelistic campaigns in Great Britain during the 1870s. It turns out that Sankey thought the original words were a little too sentimental, so he changed them slightly, and Sankey's version is the one that's in our hymnals today that we most often sing, and it goes like this. Come every soul by sin oppressed, there's mercy with the Lord and he will surely give you rest by trusting in his word. In the chorus, only trust him, only trust him, only trust him now. He will save you, he will save you, he will save you now. Second verse, for Jesus shed his precious blood, rich blessings to bestow, plunge now into the crimson flood that washes white as snow. And we're told that multitudes came to know Christ while singing those words. It, I happen to find one verse from the original version written by John Stockton, and this is the verse that drew people out of their seats and down the aisles as they came to Christ. And he wrote these words, O oh, Jesus, blessed Jesus, dear, I am coming now to you, since you have made the way so clear and full salvation free. Those words are rarely sung today, but they perfectly express what I've been trying to say in this message, and that is that anyone, anywhere, anytime can trust in um, Christ for salvation. That is the good news of the gospel. I said earlier that we're all in the same boat. We are all sinners desperately in need of God's grace and forgiveness. The death of Christ provided the full payment for our sin. And what we could not do for ourselves, God has already done for us through the death of his son. And the only thing left for us to do is to believe in him. So here's my challenge to you today. If you're hearing these words, I invite you to take them to heart. Move in the direction of the cross. Turn from your sin. Lay down your self-will and lay hold of the Son of God who loves you and died for you. Cast yourself completely on Christ for your salvation. And if you trust him with your whole heart, he will certainly not turn you away. It all comes down to a few simple words. 
The righteous will live by their faithfulness to God. That's the message we preach. That's the message that changed the world. And it all started with Habakkuk some 2,700 years ago. Let's pray together. Patient God, we confess that we quickly lose heart and confidence in you when we're not living by faith in the Son of God. So forgive our lack of trust and reassure us with the presence of your Spirit that you are indeed with us and for us and you're acting on our behalf in ways that are helpful and healing to us. Lord, we know that you love us and desire that all people turn to you in repentance and faith. So teach us today to trust in you with our whole heart so that even in these times when you may seem inactive or unresponsive to us, we may trust your faithfulness to act when and how it's best in our lives. And we give it all to you in Jesus' name.